Welcome. You are listening to Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is Barrett Bowden. I'm lead pastor here at ICC, and I just want to welcome you this morning to um, ICC, and thank you for joining us today. This morning, we are going to be continuing our series uh, in the month of August, what we call Engage August. And it's a month that we lay some foundations for really the season ahead. It's a month kind of in between summer and fall that we use intentionally and strategically to have some conversations together just about God's heart for us and God's heart for the church. And if you're new today, I just want to say especially um, how glad I am that you're here. We are a big family. Our church started in a living room on Mud Island, and we have grown to the family that we are to this day, but it has been our sincere heart from the very beginning to love and trust Jesus Christ, um, to really make much of Him in our community here in Memphis and really around the world, and to really extend an invitation to people like you um, to come and join us in the journey of love and trust in Christ, a transformation in Him and relationship together, uh, community together, and purpose together here in the city and around the world. And just really grateful that you've chosen to join us today. Uh, It was 14 years ago that my wife and I moved to Memphis. And honestly, um, one of the very first things that we did, and it was, I think, one of the best decisions that we ever made. And this morning, what I'm going to be talking to you about is about what I'm sharing with you right now. But one of the best decisions that we ever made uh, in coming in to Memphis was a decision to immediately try to find a local church. And I just want to affirm and appreciate you who are here today who have not yet decided if you're going to actually commit to a local church. I just want to affirm and appreciate the fact that you're here, the fact that you're seeking that decision, um, that you're discerning what church might be the best fit. I really believe in terms of flourishing of life, um, commitment and involvement in the local church is center. Outside of your relationship with Christ, commitment and involvement in the local church is, is center. And so I just want to encourage you. Thank you for being here. And I really hope that you feel loved uh, during your time here today. This morning, um, if you got your Bibles and something to write with, I would encourage you uh, to get open to the book of Matthew. That's going to be the first place that we look in Matthew chapter 16. But this morning, I'm going to be talking to you as we journey through uh, in this series, Engage August, I'm going to be talking to you about the call to the church. We've been looking over the last weeks at the call to a lot of different things. We looked at the call to discipleship, the call to surrender. Last week, we looked at the call to the city. And today, we're going to be looking at the call to the church and specifically what it looks like to engage in our collective kingdom calling. And of course, all of this is leading up to the start of our fall series, which believe it or not, is only two weeks away now. If you haven't heard already, this fall we're going to be journeying together through the book of Lamentations in a series called Brokenness and Hope. And so I hope you'll anticipate that and even prepare for that by making sure you're in a community group and even pre-reading the book if you've never read the book of Lamentations in the Old Testament. But that journey starts in two weeks. Really excited about it. And uh, again, that's September 10th. But this morning, the call to the church, engaging our collective kingdom calling. Over the years um, that I've pastored, it's been 12 years now, uh, in the month of October, hard to believe, it'll be 12 years that I've pastored our church. Um, I was 13 when I started, and I uh, appreciate the laughs. Um, but yeah, it's hard to believe it's been 12 years. I do not feel old enough for that. Um, I've, I've engaged in lots of healthy conversation, a lot of conversation with a lot of you around the church. Um, we live in a time where a lot of people are asking some really legitimate questions about the church and the role of the church in our lives personally. Um, there has, there's understandably uh, fear. There's understandably skepticism. There's understandably confusion. There's understandably hurt. Um, 
And maybe not so understandably, a lot of self-centeredness, <laughs> I think, that uh, plays into a lot of the conversation that people have around just local church. Even when I talk to you about church this morning, I don't know what your background is. I don't know what your relationship to church has been uh, in your past. I don't know what your relationship, I know most of you, but some of you, I don't know what your relationship is even right now and, and where you are as it relates to your thinking around church. The questions around what is the church? Um, that's a legitimate question. Could you define it this morning? Questions around do I really need the church, right? Questions around uh, is it, do I really have to join the church? Like, is that a biblical thing? Is that like, what is that? I don't understand this whole idea about membership and why that's so important. It feels like a, a power move, perhaps you might think, or like you might have some skepticism of like, what are they trying to do or get out of me or trying to lord over me? And can I really trust the church? This is a question that I think a lot of people have engaged in personally and explored in this most recent season particularly. These are legitimate questions. I'm not going to be able to answer all of them this morning, but I do want to know, you to know that we appreciate thinkers here at ICC. We appreciate honest questions. Um, if you're one who has those kinds of questions, whether it's the past or in the present, we just want to welcome you here. We're willing to extend grace and space to be able to engage in some of that conversation meaningfully. But this morning, what I want to do in the best way that I can is use a limited amount of time that I have this particular month to kind of re-engage your heart as it relates to the local church. I want you, if you're willing this morning, to journey with me in surrender, to really receive and to believe what could be in terms of God's good design for us in the local church. For us not to totally discredit or discount the experience we've had in the past, but rather to just bring ourselves with a fresh kind of openness and surrender to, to, to allow God to form our understanding of the church and even allow God to invite us into a new season of trust and investment in the church um, as we go to his word. So if that's okay, um, what I'd like to do is just to, for a moment, just pray and, and ask God to really open our hearts, to really hear, to believe, and receive what he has for us as it relates to his word about his church. So Father, we do open ourselves to you and ask that you would speak to us afresh. Lord, we ask that you plant a vision in our heart from your word of what you desire and what you have designed, and that Lord, in this season, we would be open to moving deeper into relationship with you and into relationship with the church. For the glory of your name and for our good, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 16 is where I wanna start this morning. And really what I wanna do this morning is just two simple things, all right? Uh, Tad told me this past week, that the last two Sundays, I have preached less than an hour. I'd just like to say, I am absolutely boasting in myself this morning in that statement. If you know me, you know that is quite an accomplishment. Um, Tad, though, I was talking to him this week, and he said, what I really want to see you do is preach less than 45 minutes. So I'm like, dang, okay, challenge accepted. So this morning, I have a, I have a timer right in front of me. I have 31 minutes left. This timer usually means absolutely nothing to me. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. They put it up there every single week. I don't know why they do it. They've been doing that for 12 years and it's never meant anything. But this morning, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to stick the timer. I've got 31 minutes and I'm gonna try to do two things for Tad in the next 31 minutes, all right? Two very simple things before we even get to this verse. Number one, I want to talk to you and to encourage you to love the local church. And number two, I want to talk to you and encourage you to invest in the local church. Those two simple things in the next 30 minutes. I just wanna ask you to bring your heart to God and to let him reshape it or renew it in a love for the local church and a willingness to invest in the local church. Those two simple things. The first one I want to do is to talk to you about the love for the local church. I wanna ask you to bring your heart to God and say, God, would you renew me in my love for the local church? The question I know many of us wrestle with is what is the church, okay? And there's a lot of different ways that you can answer that question. Before I even put up the, the, the potential responses on the screen, how would you answer that question today? 
What is the church? Now, potential responses could be, you could think of the church as an organization, right? You could think of the church as, um, you know, there's this, this group of, this, this, this uh, organization, it's filed as a 501c3, registered with the state and the government, they've got a budget, they've got uh, activities, all this kind of stuff. You can think of the church as activity, and you can go ahead and put these up, Taylor, and that's fine. You can, go, you can think of the church as activity. The church is Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. The church is Tuesday night, student night, or Thursday morning or night collectives. The church is XYZ activity. You can think of the church as tradition. Church is what my grandma did. Church is what my family did. It's what we do in the South. It's what the Bible Belt does every Sunday. Church is tradition. Or you could think of the church as location. What is ICC? Oh, it's at, it's at 721 North Parkway. It's the building, you know, the big circle on the front next to Cozy Corner beside St. Jude. A lot of potential responses to what is the church. But the only response that really matters is what it is as God sees the church. And that's where I wanted you to be in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, because there we read, as Jesus looks at Peter, and he's discipling them and explaining some things to them that are bigger than just this one statement, but in this one statement, it's important. He says, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, over and over in the New Testament, when we see Jesus talking about his church, and even all throughout the epistles, hundreds of times, the the word church is being used, it's coming straight from a word that Jesus is using here when he says, I will build my church. He's saying in his language, I will build my ecclesia, all right? Ecclesia is the word in Greek. Now, the reason I'm going to the Greek, I'm not trying to impress you with what I know. I'm trying to help you because I think sometimes we don't fully grasp what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about church. Ecclesia is a compound word. It's made out of two Greek words. The first word is ek, and the second word is kaleo. Ek means to pull out of, And kaleo means to call, okay? So what Jesus is doing is creating a new word, and he's saying basically, I'm gonna build my church. Now you combine these words, and what he's essentially describing is, he's saying, I'm I'm gonna gather those who I've called out to myself. So ecclesia, the best way to define it using these two words, combining them together, is a gathering of called out ones, or you could describe it as an assembly of called out ones. Those who have been called out of darkness into light, called out of sin into life, called out of the the kingdom of the world into the kingdom of God. Those who have been called out to belong to Jesus Christ, to believe in him and to belong in him. Those are gathered together. And he's saying, I will build those who have been, who I'm gathering together, who are my called out ones. I will build those people. Another way you could describe it is a gathering of true believers. Those who have sincerely put their, their, whole trust in Jesus Christ and have been changed by him. Those who hope in him, who have given themselves, surrendered over to him. He's, he, it's these, these gathered together who, who are the church. So the right question is not what is the church, all right? What's the right question? Those of you who have been discipled here for a while, you know the answer to this question. What's the right question? Who is the church? So one of the things that I want you to do this morning is to reframe even how you think about the church and to ask God again to give you renewal of heart and to how you even process the word church or the idea of church. God is inviting you to see the church as a people. It's not an institution. It's not an organization. It's not a building. It's not a set of activities It's not a tradition here in the South. The church is so much better and more beautiful than all of that in God's eyes. 
When God looks down and he sees the church, what he sees is those who he has redeemed by his own blood. He sees those who he set his love upon, who he's put his spirit in, those who he's called out to himself, and he sees the gathering of those people as the church. So it's not what is the church, it's who is the church. And this morning, if you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, the answer to this question is, we are. Who is the church? And you say, we are. We are the church. First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. The scripture invites us, and maybe you can write this down as a reference, invites us to see we are the church. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people. This is the church, a people for his own possession. You hear it? The gathering of called out ones, a people. That you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so what he's saying is you are a people who basically exist to, to just showcase the goodness and the glory of the grace of Jesus Christ. You're here to go, isn't Jesus great? This is the church. You're a people who've been formed together by his blood who exists for one purpose, to make much of the one who called you out. Once you are not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So who is the church? We are. We are. Love the local church. What a beautiful gift to celebrate the church because to celebrate the church is to celebrate a savior. To celebrate a savior who took a people who were once not his people and had called them out and now made them his people. Who were once blind and now they see, who were once dead and now they live, who were once broken and now they're healed, once lost in sin and now they're forgiven and redeemed. To celebrate the church is to celebrate the Savior. It's to celebrate the grace and the transformative work of Jesus Christ in his life, death, and resurrection. It's to celebrate the one who has called us out. That is why we love the local church. Because in loving the local church, we're loving Jesus Christ himself. Do you understand? We're loving what he's done in the lives of those who have trust, trusted in him and have been transformed by him. Now, Matthew 16, 18, you go back to the verse. Jesus says, I will build my church. Jesus himself commits himself to the good of the church. Why love the church? Because number one, Jesus is committed to the church. He's saying, and there's nothing that will break my commitment to the church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. I am radically committed to my people. That's what Jesus is saying. And aren't you grateful that Jesus is radically committed to you? We wouldn't have much hope if it were, our, if it were about our commitment to Jesus, but there is hope because he is committed to us. But also we love the church because Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, it's a verse we often think about when we're doing weddings or thinking about relationship between husbands and wives. But he says here, don't let it be lost. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We have to remember that Jesus not only is committed to the church, but he demonstrates his rock-solid commitment. See, before he even gave his life, he told Peter that, I will build my people. I'm committed to the church. I'm committed to the gathering of those who have been called out. Gates of hell will not prevail against it. How does Peter actually see this commitment manifested before his own eyes? He looks at the one who said, I am committed to my people. Give his own life for his people. There is no greater love than one can know than this, than Jesus lay down his life for us. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. You've got to know this. How do we know that he's committed to the church? He loves the church. How do we know that he loves the church? He gave his own life up for the church, for you and for me. 
listen, we got to love the local church because Jesus loves the local church. See, the, the local, the, the church, both universal and local, we'll talk about this in a second, the church is the most secure and the most loved people in the world. If you belong to the church, if you're one who is trusted in Christ, if you treasure him, if you experience the transformative work of his spirit making you alive from death as you repented and believed in him, look, you are totally loved and you are totally secure. We have God's commitment and we have God's delight. What a joy to understand the church through the lens of God. So we love the local church. Now, you gotta ask the question. Um, so when, when you talk about the church, Barrett, are, are you talking about like the, the like ICC? Or are you talking about like all people who are like called out by God to himself like everywhere? Yes. All right, so the Bible uses ecclesia in both places. So, so for instance, in Ephesians chapter five, verse 25, that is talking about the church universal, right? Uh, Christ loved the church. He's thinking about the church as like the, the, what I call the big C church, which means like the church universal. Those who have come to Christ for all time, anywhere and everywhere that they have ever existed. Christ loved his people and he gave his life, not just for a specific small congregation, a specific country, or among a specific people group. No, he gave his life for all who would come to him by faith. This is the, the big C church, the church universal. But the Bible also speaks to the church local. So for instance, if you go to your, your Bible and you look at uh, Romans Chapter 16, it's a book that we just finished studying, which is why I picked this book. You go to the end of the book, and you get to verse like church, uh, verse five, and it uses that same word, ecclesia. It says, greet also the ecclesia in their house. And then he gives some specific names of those who are in that church. So what he's saying is, there also can be an understanding of the church as like an ICC, a church local, a church that is in a specific time, in a specific place, with specific people. That's also an understanding of the church. But regardless, God wants us to love the church. And this morning, I wanna bring attention to the local church. Because honestly, the, 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 the way to understand church here in Memphis, is to understand that the way we see the universal church is by looking at the local church. One of the coolest things about um, the way that the Bible describes the church is the Bible gives us all these metaphors. And one of the things that I would ask you and invite you to do with me just briefly is to, is to recognize that as the Bible gives us these metaphors of the church, the only real way to actually not just conceptualize these things, but to actually experience these things is to experience them in the context of the local church. Three main metaphors I wanna point out this morning. One is a family, secondly is a body, and the third is a temple, or you could describe it as the kingdom. Let's start with a family, just briefly. So we know one of the ways that the Bible describes the church is we're a family. We use that terminology all the time here at ICC. We're so glad to have you. It's a part of the family, right? Y'all have heard that many, many times. You may have heard it at other churches. The family language is important language because it speaks to us of what it looks like within the church to actually experience belonging but also what it looks like in the church to actually carry responsibility. So verses like Matthew chapter 12, verses 48 to 50. I know I'm giving a lot of different references this morning. Hopefully you can write them down and go back and study, meditate on them later. Jesus looks at his disciples and he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here they are. 
Here's my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. He's redefining for us what is family. He's saying the truest family is not your biological family anymore. When you come to Christ, your truest sense of family, of belonging, a place of belonging and a place of responsibility, your truest family is now those who also trust and treasure Christ with you. That's your truest family. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. The Bible describes, he says, if I delay, I know how you ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God. He's describing the house of God, the family of God as the church. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20, he says, so then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. He's like, yo, like, don't you know? Like God's like adopted you to his family and, and, and now you're like brothers and sisters with this big old family that we call the church. Galatians chapter six, verse 10. So then as we have opportunity, let's do good to everyone, especially of those who are of the household of faith. So he's saying, hey, like I want you to know that you're like part of this people and this people is a family. But I want you to know something. Part of why you need to see it as a family is because you need to, you need to feel this and experience this belonging and also this responsibility in the family. How do you do that if you're not actually connected to a local church? You don't. That's why there's such goodness and the opportunity to be renewed in love for the local church because it's in the context of belonging to a specific people in a specific time, in a specific place that we actually get to feel what it's like to have brothers and sisters. We actually get to feel what it's like to share a common family together. You look around this room, and, and so when we're talking about family and the family of God, I, it's not some abstract thing. I'm looking around the room, and I'm like, Koi, I love you, dude. Thanks, Koi. <laughs> I look behind him, I'm like, Carol. I went, I went and hung out with Carol this week, at her workplace, uh, she works at a restaurant downtown and had some of the best biscuits she's ever, I've ever eaten. She served us this week. Carol, we love you. I'm so grateful you're here. I look at Brandon. I look at Greg. I mean, I could look at Andrew back there. Went to breakfast this past week, too. You know, I look around the room, and I'm like, I'm so grateful for the brothers and the sisters that we have. I'm so grateful. I look you in the eyes, and I... I mean this. You are family to me. And I know I'm family to you. I, I know that we share unity because we share oneness in Jesus Christ. We are true family for one another. You can't, you can't understand that until you experience it in the context of a local church. What it's like to really belong to a family, to really have a place, but also to sense the stewardship of what it looks like to belong in a family. You know, when, when somebody in the family has a need or when somebody gets hurt or when there's, when there's some issue, you've you got to work that out. You've got to help each other. When somebody has a 2 a.m. crisis and they call, you answer. What a joy to experience the belonging of a family, but also the responsibility of a family. The only way to experience it is to work it out in the context of the local church. Secondly, a body. Not only do we have the example of a family, but we have this metaphor of a body. And, and one of the reasons that God gives us this metaphor is for us to understand what it looks like for us to be connected, deeply connected to one another. We are the church. But at the truest nature of the church, we are connected and we have roles to play. God has brought this interconnectedness that is beautiful, but also has gifted us in ways in which we can support one another and the greater work of God by plugging in and playing our role. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is where I'm getting this from, starting in verse 12. If you've got your Bibles, you're welcome to look at it in your scripture with me, but otherwise I will just read it here from the screen. He says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, all of us were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, 
Well, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, well, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? And if the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Now I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow with greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ. Let me say this again. You are the body of Christ. And individually, you are members of it. Here's what God's inviting you to see. When you become part of the gathering of called out ones, the ecclesia, this people who he's radically committed to and he loves so much that he gave his life for, you've got to understand you've become a part of a body. Not only are you a member of a family that has belonging and role, responsibility, but you are part of a body. And just as ears and nose and feet and hands and mouth work together in all the organs that you cannot see, so you are now connected to others who are part of Christ in such a way that you are interconnected with them. There's a role that God has given you that's distinct from the role from the person beside you, and God has so composed the body that you actually can experience more of God by living by faith together. There are some things that you'll experience of God because God is working in a specific way in another person's life, and there's some things that they can experience of God because God's working in a specific way in your life. There's this beautiful, beautiful connectedness and this role and responsibility that we have. And I look around the room and I go, how could you experience this apart from the local church? And the answer is you can't. Because I look around the room and I go, wow, I'm so thankful for the gift of MB. I'm so thankful for the ways that God has given her the heart that she has and the gifts that she has and the life that she lives. I look behind her at Nick and I go, I'm so thankful for you, Nick. Nick gets married in two weeks, by the way, everybody. And I, and I look at Nick's eyes and I'm like, I'm so thankful for who you are, Nick. I really am. I'm so thankful for the ways that God has blessed us by bringing you into our church, the ways we've gotten to see Jesus through you and the ways you've been able to serve as a part of the church. I look behind him at Andrew and I look at TJ and Lauren and I'm thankful for the ways God has uniquely gifted and blessed all of you the ways that I have known Jesus more because of you and the ways that you serve him in this body, we experience him more together because of each one of you uniquely. I'm so thankful for the connectedness that we have and the roles that you guys have played in my life and in the life of this church. You cannot, I, I could go around the room and look at all of you and, and, and appreciate all of you. You can't experience this apart from the goodness of belonging and being connected in the local church. This is one of the things that God is inviting you to be renewed in your love for and to be challenged in your commitment in. Last but not least, the analogy, the metaphor of the temple or the kingdom. Helping us to understand the purpose that we have and the responsibility that we've been given. First Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. The scripture says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, he says, he's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. And in Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, it says, to him who loves us, 
and who has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. What he's saying is, look, do you recognize that part of what God has done is he's brought you into this gathering of called out ones is he's made you a temple. He's made of you a kingdom. He's doing a new work. He's bringing a work of redemption into the world through the church and you have a great joy of being a part of what he's doing. A kingdom of priests, those who are offering service to God, who are ushering in redemption into the world, who are showcasing the goodness of the grace of Jesus to a world who desperately needs to know it, and you're getting to do that together. Don't you see what God is doing? Now, I ask, how could you see that apart from the local church? How could you see that apart from a commitment to, an investment in, actually working out your calling? How do you live with passion and purpose for the glory of Jesus just by yourself? I mean, there are some individual things for us to do, but there's a collective work that God has given us the joy of receiving together. That is the goodness of the local church. And so God is asking you this morning, do you love that? Do you love what he's doing through the church? And do you love what he's doing through the local church? Do you see God's good design in the church? And do you see God's good desire for you to be a part of it? Now, in closing this morning, what I want to do is talk to you about the second thing. And that is your choice to invest in the church. We've talked about the call to love the local church, but where I want to leave you this morning is how invested are you in the local church? I believe there are some things that we could all consider. Some of these things may be for all of us, Some of these things may only be for some of us. There's a couple of things that God's put on my heart to just share with you as we close this morning to consider. If you believe in what God is doing in the church and you see his good desires and designs for it, the question is, how are you invested? Here's some things that I believe you could do to take a next step investment. Number one, I believe that you could choose membership. I'm here today, 2023, to try to make membership cool again, all right? (laughs) Membership has got to be one of the most uncool things to ever talk about in 2023. But here's what I know. There are about 100 people who call ICC their church home and yet have not committed to be members yet. And here's what I'm asking you. Why are you waiting? Don't wait. It is a good gift in your life, and it is a... It is a godly desire. It is a desire of God for you to just go ahead and say, I want to be committed here. The assumption of Scripture is that you will be committed, not just attending, not just passively observing, not just trying to be like a friend with benefits kind of relationship with the church, okay? In the sense that like, I want to to take stuff off the top, but I don't actually want to take responsibility and, and, and stay committed all the way through. Commitment to the local church would be a great next step of investment for many of you. 1 Corinthians 12, now you're the body of Christ and individually you're members of it. The assumption of scripture is that you just go ahead and join. And here's what it means to be a member. First, it looks like just taking responsibility for the health of the church family and for shared commitment. It's basically going like, I want to be a part of something bigger than myself. And that looks like Getting together with us, financially giving, evangelizing, and serving, and supporting, and caring for, and participating decisions, protecting the gospel, protecting membership, things that I believe you want to do, and God has called you to do. Can you be saved without being a member of the local church? Yes, you can. Can you be obedient without being a member of the local church? No, you can't. God has called you to be committed The things that he's asked of you to be committed to are things that require a commitment to the local church. So for many of you, I just am trying to ask you, would you make membership cool again? 
All right? Would you just go ahead and say, like, I'm going to get over myself and I'm going to be a part of something bigger than me and I'm going to let, I'm going to let God do a work in me through this commitment. But also in the commitment, the second thing that you get is you'll have the church taking spiritual responsibility for you. And this is the the part of membership that I think a lot of people don't quite recognize the goodness of the blessing of membership. Because in membership, you have folks who now are actively praying for you, actively interceding for you. You've got shepherds who are committed to you in sacrificial ways. You've got incredible opportunities for teaching and growth and discipleship and looking out for you and accountability and spiritual oversight over your life. These are good gifts of God that are available to you through your own commitment to the local church. So for many of us, what it could look like in this next season to be more invested in this church that we love is to just say, God, I'm willing I'm willing to go ahead and just be committed to just choose membership. Secondly, I think another way for us to be invested together in this next season is to grow in leadership. To grow in leadership for many of us. 1 Peter 4.10 speaks that as each of us has received a gift, we need to use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's very grace. We already read the passage from Corinthians 12. Here's what I'm trying to say. It would be a good gift in your life and in the life of other people to go you know what like God has blessed me uniquely and I want to be a part of not just belonging but contributing I want to find a place to 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 use the gifts God's given me for good to see other people helped to see kids know Christ, to grow up and serve, to see our community reach, to see the, the nations served and reach with the gospel, to see churches planted. I want to be a part of contributing. I want to be a helper. And I also want to be one who continues to aspire to grow. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says, it's a good thing to aspire to the office of an overseer. Corinthians 12 speaks, earnestly seek the higher gifts In other words, it's a good thing for you to want to grow in leadership because inevitably, as you set your sights on being more prepared to be a contributor, you're going to find yourself growing in grace. You're going to, every time you take on more responsibility in the kingdom, you're going to find God working, sanctifying you more and more. It's a good gift in your life to be challenged to be the kind of person of character and of competency that is able to handle increasing responsibilities in the kingdom of God. So let's step into what is that next opportunity for you to grow in leadership, number three. Not only growing in leadership, but helping reach Memphis. I really believe this next season in the life of our church is gonna be a season that is unique for us and what God is calling us to do in Memphis. Increasingly, our city needs help. And increasingly, our city needs hope. Just last night, 2 a.m., four more people shot on South Main. That's on top of eight just a few weeks ago, right downtown. This is, we're kidding ourselves if we don't think this is our church's neighborhood. In the last few days, here in Uptown, here in Midtown, just, just south of us here, we, There is brokenness that surrounds us, and I'm just speaking of crime and violence. You name the other issues going on, we, we can't be blind to it. Our city needs help, and our city needs hope. And for such a time as this, God has called you here. I spoke to this last week, but here's what I'm saying. We need, as a church, to be more invested in together doing all that we can do to be a blessing to this city to seek the welfare and the peace of this city. We've got to do it, and we've got to do it together. And we need you to not be on the sidelines, but to be in the game, to not be a critic, but to be one who is contributing. We need you to step forward. We need together to come around this cause and say we are going to plant ourselves here for the good of this community that we call home. We need to do all we can to foster merciful and missional presence here, one neighbor at a time. And we need to do all we can to get behind this most recent kingdom initiative that we have committed to, to see a new church 
planted out of our church in the community across the street from us in Uptown that desperately needs a church. Aren't you excited about the opportunity for our church to become a multiplying church? But that's gonna take all of us, not just Jordan and his family, it's gonna take all of us rallying around this with vision. Like in Acts 13, they sent off Paul and Barb's and they, they laid their hands on them and they commissioned them out. It was the whole church, it wasn't just a few people. Yes, a few people were called to lead in the work, but the whole church came around them and laid their hands on them, which is signifying they were a part of it together in their prayers and in their labors and in their giving and in the work. And what a joy for us in this next season to be invested together in reaching this community we call home. Last but not least, and I'll close. And Tad, I'm sorry, I'm five minutes and 28 seconds over. So maybe next week. Last but not least, I believe that there are many of us who can give generously who need to take the next step of investment by just choosing to give generously. We are continuing to see a large percentage of those who call ICC home choose to not be a contributor financially. We don't judge you, I don't even know who you are. I just look at statistics. But my concern is for your hearts. God does not need your money. He's not chasing your money. God is chasing your hearts. And in our day, 2023, money sets itself up to be a very prominent idol in our hearts and lives. Money sets itself up to say, I can be your security. I can meet your needs. I can be a source of satisfaction. I can be a source of of pleasure. I I can be a, a source of impact. And money is not meant to have that place in our hearts. Only God is. Part of why we give the first tenth of everything that God gives us is because first we go, God, we recognize it's from you. But second, it's because, God, we know that if we don't give the first part away, we're tempted to trust money more than you. So, God, we're going to release it so that immediately we remember that our hope and our trust and our provision is not from money. It's from you. It keeps our trust and our treasure square in our hearts. 2 Corinthians 9 says, The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly, but whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. So each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. In verse 11, he says, you will be enriched in every way to be generous, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of the service is not supplying needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. One of the ways I believe that many of us have an opportunity to invest in this next season is just to learn the joy of generosity, to learn the joy of just simple childlike faith in God. I really believe the best thing that money can do is when you give it away to help other people and to glorify God. There is so much potential for you to have practical impact in the kingdom of God as you learn increasing levels of stewardship and generosity. And I would encourage you today to really consider, is there a next step to take? Maybe a first step to take as it relates to that journey. So I've said to you today two simple things. One is I want you to love the local church. (laughs) And two is I want you to invest in the local church. So I ask you now as I close and we transition to response, what is your next step? For some of us, um, it may be just offering our hearts to God and saying, God, would you renew our own love for the church? God, would you help me to see the church as you see it? It's not what is the church, it's who is the church. And God, help me to love the church because you love the church and be committed to the church because you're committed to the church. Maybe today, that is where you are. Just asking God to renew you and your love for the church. Maybe today, your next step is 
investing in the local church, out of your own love for God and your love for the church, asking God, how is it, God, in this season that you're calling me to take a next step and giving more of my heart and more of my life to be committed in this family, in this body, in this kingdom, to really experience the goodness of your desire and design by me giving myself here. Maybe for you it's even today wrestling over like, yeah, I, I, I want to surrender my distrust in ways and my reluctance in ways and my selfishness in ways because God, I know, God, that I need to belong. So God, I, I just want to go and commit here. Maybe that's your yes today. Maybe your yes is, God, I, I know that you've gifted me and blessed me. and I know you're calling me to grow into new opportunities of investment in this season as a leader. God, I've been reluctant for that, but God, today I'm going to release that. And I'm just going to say yes to you in that. Maybe it's that conversation about Memphis and just wanting to be really invested alongside of brothers and sisters in this city of Memphis and saying, God, I, I don't know what to do, but I know I need to do something. And so, God, I'm, I'm yielding you my heart and life, and I'm wanting, God, to be a part of change that's needed. May it start with me. And maybe it's a money conversation. Maybe it's you and God just going, yeah, like I've been disobedient. I've been holding back what you're calling me to give and I've been looking to money to provide something that God, that only you can provide and today I wanna get that right. I wanna, I wanna change. So Lord, forgive me. And God, I wanna set a new trajectory. Let's, let's just take time to pray. Take time to consider these things, to offer our hearts and our lives before the Lord. As we sing this song, build your church. It's really a prayer that comes straight out of Matthew 16 that we've been focused on. Jesus said, I will build my church. And in this song, we're saying, God, would you do it? And would you let it start here in us? Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at iccmemphis.com. We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.